While this morning is baptism of the Lord Sunday, a Jesus baptism, I've strangely decided to use two texts from the Old Testament, the first five verses in the Bible from Genesis, and then a psalm, Psalm 29, as the source of this sermon. Hear now the word as it comes to us from Genesis verses 1 through 5. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let us pray. As you brought light into our creation, O God, bring the light of Christ to dawn in our souls and dispel all darkness. Give us grace to reflect your glory and peace and ears to hear your word in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I want to talk about the light of God that spoke into the chaotic waters of darkness right out of the bat in the book of creation. The story starts with all that is or was was a formless void while darkness covered the surface of the deep, referring to the waters of the deep. The Hebrew word is tehum. It is a word that means like um, a huge hurricane completely out of control with no order in it that only brings chaos everywhere it goes. While the Spirit of God still hovered over that, God said, let there be light. Now this was, this was the light of God. Speaking into creation, God's spiritual light, separating the darkness from the night. This was not the actual physical bringing of light into the darkness. That happens in verse 14 nor is it the actual physical separation of day and night. It is a spiritual and metaphorical moment right out of the shoot in Genesis referring to something that was ancient and ancient in Mesopotamian and then Israeli understanding. The story shares that this spiritual light enters into chaos and brings order out of the darkness. While not doing away with it, that God hovers over it, brings order out of it, but doesn't do away with it. And the first thing that Genesis is trying to tell us is that God's word is the light of the world that orders and contains the chaos and the storms of evil both without and within. 
And then God said, that was the first day. So it begs the question, how and where then can we encounter this light? This God's spirit light, this God's wisdom light. As this first story gives witness, we discover it when we are, golly, what is it? That when we're about to drown in the darkness of chaos, by grace, the waters of chaos might even wash over us and bring to us some new understanding and wisdom and insight and enlightenment. But why does it take so much darkness for us to finally see it. The Bible says that there is something about us, our stubborn, self-serving blindness to our own pride and our own self-righteousness that keeps us from perceiving God's light or enlightenment. And that not until we are Drowning in the darkness of that sin and self-righteousness and grandiosity. Drowning in the chaos of deceit. Lost in the dark, murky waters of narcissism. Not until we are so self-absorbed that we are drowning in ourselves will we be able to see the light for what it is and what it means. Until then, I was talking to a friend recently who admitted that he had been struggling with alcohol for 28 years. Actually longer, he said, but he had now come to some sense of enlightenment. What caused him to claim that and go public and admit he had a problem was COVID. He had functioned as an alcoholic, a functional alcoholic for 24 or five years, but he also had some OCD issues and he was germaphobic. So when COVID hit, he refused to leave his house. And instead he started drinking more. And he was drowning in it. And his wife decided that she was not going to drown in it with him one more time, and so she left him. He called me after she left him. He was a friend of mine. And I tried to explain to him that even in his darkness, he was at the very place where he might be able to catch a glimmer of God's light and hope that he can get well. I don't want to get well, he said. I want my wife back. I tried to assure him that even in the darkness of his divorce, impending divorce, that he might be able to find some help with his addiction. I'll stop drinking, he said, only if my wife will come back. Now my friend, three weeks, four weeks later, says to me that he is drowning in a new thing, and that is remorse and grief and loss and confession, and he can't imagine his life without her in it. And my friend is not the exception 
more the rule, maybe not that drastic or dramatic, but what is it in us that, that leads us to think that we can ride upon the storm of such chaos, that we can order and control the powers of darkness and chaos and keep them at bay when that's just the kind of just the kind of thing that darkness feeds on. After World War II, they sent psychologists and psychiatrists around to interview the German people and the German soldiers. And what they discovered is by far, none of them could admit their part in it even their support of the Nazi regime. Most just said, we were controlled. We couldn't do anything about it. We were victims. They blamed it on the totalitarian, fundamentalist deception and disinformation of the Nazis that they birthed and nourished and fed to cause untellable fear and evil and racism and murder. But they didn't, they didn't have any responsibility in it, they said. The psychologist who did this study after the war discovered that this widespread denial theorized it as the human unwillingness to confront the darkness and evil in each of us. That leads us to disclaim any responsibility and what that does, of course, is only allow for chaos to fester and hatred and lies and totalitarianism to grow. And we see this, we see this today as much as any time in my lifetime. We see it around us. But the evil paradox of this is that it is sin and evil, and the more we resist owning our own deep responsibility for it in ourselves and in the world, the more prone we are to drown in it. Don't forget this Genesis story. The darkness is never overcome. It is still around. God's word is that which keeps it subdued. And this understanding of the way things are goes back thousands and thousands of years to the Mesopotamian and Babylonian water mythology of a sea monster named Leviathan and Marduk and Tiamat, and that once they get riled up and they rise out of the sea, the whole sea becomes roiled and chaotic. And this morning's passage makes the claim that it is only God's word that can hold those chaotic monsters at bay and keep them in order. It stills the storms. The 29th Psalm says it, maybe more plainly, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord, Glory and strength ascribed to the Lord, the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It's the call into worship. And, 
and subdued of our own righteousness, we come to worship with hat in hand, open to the voice of God that is over the waters, the psalm says, and over the waters the glory of God thunders. And the Lord thunders over the mighty waters, that is to say, overpowers the waters because the voice of the Lord is powerful and the voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes and lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert and shakes the desert of Kadesh. And the voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in the temple, all his people cry, glory. And the Lord sits enthroned over the flood and the Lord is enthroned as king forever, and the Lord gives strength to his people, and the Lord blesses his people with peace. The promise of God's containment of the darkness and evil around and within. And it is our call to be in awe and reverence, in worship and in life of this Lord's voice, who reminds us of the power of both goodness and evil. And it is our privilege to stand under this word instead of standing under the words of denial and disinformation and distortion, of overreach, of projecting our own darkness onto everyone else. Now hopefully we've been around long enough to know it when we see it, We've encountered enough of this darkness to see that there is light even in the midst of it, which is the promise and the grace. In fact, it is the light that defines the darkness, without which there wouldn't be any definition of it. But remember, we are never more at risk than when we are certain and sure and righteous that we are in control. Cults promise this, totalitarianism, Religious people sometimes promise this. Politicians, academicians sometimes promise. Netanyahu promises this in his response, which is a complete, in my opinion, and I'm not alone, an overreach to the rightful response to the Hamas terrorist attack. I'm in control, he says. But he's not. It was the great tragic Jim Morrison who sang this song about it, and he was singing about his drug and alcohol addiction. And it was riders in the storm, riders in the storm into this house were born. You remember that door song? Some of you. Into this world we're thrown. Like dog without a bone, an actor on the loan, riders on the storm. And Morrison didn't write it for long. He's talking about addiction. He didn't write it for long because he soon perished into the stormy chaos of it and died. I made a list of all the things that we can drown in, by the way, and it would bore you to tears, but grief is not the only one, although... We can drown in that for sure. Certainly addiction or hopelessness or despair or loneliness, 
but also revenge and pornography and disease and obsession and goes on and on. Politics, anger, success, golly, the list is legion. Guns, we can drown in guns as a culture. I am for gun rights, let me make that clear. But I am also for lawful controls. I was with a friend this past week who owns a farm in social circle or outside of it. It's a great, beautiful piece of land and he, and he lets some of the people who work there, some of the people who help farm and carpenters and plumbers and so forth come and use the farm, one particular part of it for, a, for target practice. We got up one morning and heard pop, pop, pop in the distance of guns and he said, that must be my carpenter friends, he called to say he was going to bring another friend and their children by to do some target practice. Let's walk down and see them. So we got down there, and when, I, when we walked up, uh, they had a big pickup, and um, on the table, the picnic table there, uh, were four Glocks. It's a pistol uh, with, in four different calibers. Uh, and, and I'm like, golly, uh, cool, cool pistols. Uh, what are you using for target practice? Um, and, and, and so, but you haven't seen anything yet, so they go into the back of the truck and pull out ca three cases, and they pull out uh, three assault rifles, AR-15 types, uh, AK-47 types, I think, lay them on the table and said, this is what it's really all about. Then they pulled out massive clips that hold more than, you know, 10 or 15, uh, and, and they pulled out boxes of ammo uh, and then they shot the, the Glocks, and they said, you want to shoot it? I said, sure. So I, I shot the Glock, and it, it, I never really shot one like that before. Uh, 22s, yes, BB guns, yes, but never any. And, um, and then they said, but watch this. And so one of the sons, 11 years old, picks up the AR-15 and goes over to the side, and they had a little metal targets all out in the field, 70 yard target, and he picks it up and with a scope, sights it in and ping, hits the target. He's 11, and that's uh, pretty good shooting. And, uh, but it wasn't really a ping, because I'm standing next to the rifle, uh, the rifle's where the baptismal font, and I'm kind of standing here, and we had earplugs in, but I promise you, when that rifle went off, the concussion almost knocked my hat off. It was that powerful, just the concussion from the bullet. So then he starts pulling the semi-automatic trigger on the, on the AR-15, and he hits it, you know, I don't know, two out of five times, bam, 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 and then he decides to hold it down, and it was boom, 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 boom. It must have been 20 bullets, machine gun, and I was like, isn't that out, isn't that against the law? to have assault rifles turned into machine guns, but I didn't say anything. They had the guns. <laughs> but what struck me was the obsession that they had for these weapons. And these two 11-year-old boys who shared it, without any regard for order or control or management of a machine gun that's against the law. 
For me, it occurred to, that it, it's just another place where we're drowning. We're drowning in guns. And I'm, I'm, I'm a gun right person with limits. Standing on the edge of the dark abyss, we have to claim it for what it is. And the way we can see it is by the light of God's word made real to us in the life of Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear. The darkness is unmanageable. But by the light and the word, we can find some freedom from it. Maybe that's why there's so many stories about God's word casting that word over the waters. In this morning's passage, God said, let there be light, and there was. God said, when Moses led the people to the promised land, for the river to part, and it did. And God said, when Joshua went across the other river, still, and it did. Oh, 23rd Psalm, deliver us beside still waters making the case that there are also unstill waters, which means chaos. And when Jesus gets on the scene and he gets baptized by the waters, he comes up and the Spirit comes down on him and says, you are my son, and immediately casts him out into the darkness of the desert where he has to do power and struggle with the devil. And every time the devil was trying to get him to buy in to his control, and his power, and his fixing of the whole world, and every time Jesus denied it. Choosing instead faith rather than power. And that Jesus goes down the road and he sees disciples in their boats, and over the water his voice goes and says, come and follow me. And with the woman at the well, a Syrophoenician woman that nobody wanted or hated, they hated her all, he gathers around her at the well of the waters and his voice goes and says, you are a child of God. Over and over again, the voice of God goes out over the waters of darkness and chaos saying to us, be still, those waters. Be still and know that I am God. No matter how deep we are or how far we feel like we're drowning, those waters are always there for us if we listen and if we see. Maybe this is why the Bible ends in Revelation with these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Sea, the place where chaos reigns. Oh God, we pray for the eyes to see and the ears to hear and for us to follow your way in the midst of the darkness and chaos around us. In Christ's name. Amen.